Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Time of day, ladies and gentlemen. This is Americans Watching the Footy. I'm Ethan Castle. I am Benjamin Castle. Welcome to episode 41, our round 16 preview, the second of our three interstate episodes. Ethan remains in Cleveland or just outside it, while I am at home in South San Francisco, California. That's right. Once again, come to you from the Red Roof Inn in Middleburg Heights, Ohio. Ethan's classy here. It gets the job done. It's not trashy. It's efficient. We've been a little spoiled lately with some of the quality games that we've had. The matchups in round 15 were simply insane. There's a reason that episode went as long as it did. And props to those of you who listened all the way through it. We've got some good games coming for you in round 16. We've got a Thursday night classic. We've got what should be the biggest game to date in the history of the Gold Coast Suns. But other than that, it's a more ordinary round. You know, we've got some games that are perceived to be mismatches where the team that's in the eight needs to not only win, but take advantage, pile on the percentage against a lesser opponent and not fuck things up. But with every fuck up comes an opportunity for another team to take advantage. And who knows, maybe we'll see some of the teams that slipped out of the eight this past round be able to make their way back in. One of those teams that fell outside the eight was Richmond, and of course their instant classic against Geelong included Dion Prestia getting concussed by Tom Stewart, who got him with his shoulder as he ran past the ball. The tribunal has come and gone, and they have suspended Stewart for the AFL's preferred length of four weeks. I told you it wouldn't be more than that. I'm glad that it's not. It makes sense given prior cases, but I was worried that the greater emphasis on head injuries would result in Stewart being further punished. I think in hindsight, Zach Jones not getting any fine whatsoever for holding his ground, kind of like how Tim English did earlier in the season, show that the MRO is understanding where to draw the line as opposed to the Patty Ryder Will Day incident in round four. I know Richmond thinks he burned their crops, poisoned their water supply, and delivered a plague under their houses. But look, any more than four weeks would have been insane. Geelong wanted three, but frankly, they didn't make very convincing arguments. If you look at the summary of the hearing, I think once they heard that that the AFL wanted four, they probably just said, "Okay, we can live with that. So he's going to miss North Melbourne this week, then another home game next week against the Demons. After that, he'll miss a trip to the MCG to take on Collingwood and a trip to the Adelaide Oval to face Port Adelaide. Patty Ryder's name just came up in reference to the Tom Stewart situation, and it sounds like there have been some rumors flying around about stuff that's gone on with Patty Ryder and Brad Hill, rumors that Brett Ratton has loudly shut down. Basically, the night after the loss to Essendon in round 14, they went out Saturday night, more than a six-day break, go ahead, do your thing, and it sounded like basically they were at a hotel bar or something, there was an argument that started up, nothing physical happened, and most importantly and best of all, the players reported everything to the club after it happened. So, sounds like this is a non-story, has nothing to do with why Hill was out last week. Spoiler alert, both should be back this week for the Friday night game against the Blues. For reference, Ryder was listed as managed, while Hill was listed as out for personal reasons. Not going to read any more into that. I think there would be more to talk about if they weren't to play this week. In terms of injury outs, Jeremy McGovern suffered a nasty rib, and now we know lung injury as well in round 14 against Geelong. Adam Simpson admitted to the club downplaying the injury and has now recognized its significance. He's had some big injuries before, but 
with this being a substantial internal injury, it wouldn't be shocking if he were to miss the rest of the season. My thought when I saw that he also had lung damage was just, holy shit, this guy cannot catch a break. He's had a rough time with things this season, especially. Hopefully he'll be able to be back for the next year. Thing is, the Eagles defense has been able to do good things without him. Tom Barris has put his hand up to be the defensive leader for years to come. Been really impressed with Brady Hoff as of late in terms of movement out of halfback. Has been improving his intercept marking as well. Elliot Yeo and Jermaine Jones going back there has done some good for movement as well. Now let's see if they can lock down defensively. But the Eagles don't play until Sunday, and we have six games to talk about before we hit their matchup against Richmond. Is a matchup that has provided some pretty good entertainment over the past couple years in the Brisbane Lions and the Western Bulldogs. This will be in the typical 7.20 p.m. Eastern slot at the GABA. So that's 5.20 a.m. Eastern, 2.20 a.m. Pacific for American viewers on Thursday, June 30th. If you don't have Watch AFL, you can tune into this one on Fox Soccer Plus. Now, the Bulldogs are one of those teams that just got back into the eight, as we mentioned right at the top of the episode. Of the three teams on 32 points at eight and six, they have the best percentage. Pretty impressive, 120.9. That's actually the fifth best percentage in the league. Meanwhile, the Lions are 10-4, and and they dropped to third after losing handily to Melbourne in last week's Thursday Nighter. These teams met out at Ballarat in round four last year, a game the Dogs won by 19, and they met in a semifinal at the GABA, where the Bulldogs scratched out a late one-point win, ending Brisbane's season. That made it two out of three years of straight-set finals exits for the Lions, and after last week, I'm really thinking we could be looking in on that again. Good news is the Lions will have a couple important midfield pieces back in the form of Dane Zorko, and more importantly, as it figures based on what we saw last time out, it's hard to call him a midfielder at this point because of how much he pushes forward. I'd call him more of a half forward at this point. Zach Bailey, who has been on fire this season. Jared Lyons should be fine. He had a rib injury and was subbed out against Melbourne. If he isn't in, maybe Kyle Lohman could get a shot. He should be ready. It'll be tough for Kalamachi or Darcy Ford to get in. Who knows? Maybe you'll have Ford as the sub again. Not exactly sure if that would be the right move based on what the Bulldogs have, as Ethan will tell us in just a bit. And unfortunately, Jimmy Tunstall will likely be put back to the VFL right after making his debut. Was really surprised to see Mitch Robinson left out of the 22 after kicking two goals last round, one in each of the middle quarters when pretty much nothing else was working for the Lions. I know he was at the end of those sequences rather than starting them, but a very notable out considering the scoring impact he did have. Speaking of debuts, Dominic Bedendo has been announced to debut for the Bulldogs in what's obviously a pretty big game for them. I'd say they're in a spot where... Every game's big at this point. We also know that they do have a couple of spots to fill. Ed Richards is in concussion protocol now. He was replaced by Lockie McNeil as a sub last week. Could just be a straight up McNeil takes over. Lockie Hunter is also in consideration after making his return through the VFL. We do know that Tim English is unlikely to play, still in concussion protocols. As big as those outs are for the Bulldogs, though, Caleb Daniel is undoubtedly a bigger one, even bigger than English, I would say with how well he's been playing recently. Daniel has knee cartilage damage, so that makes two good smaller defenders out for the dogs against a forward line that is quick to punish mistakes. Also, unfortunately, Josh Bruce had a setback in his comeback with a hamstring injury. Probably going to take him another week or two before he's back on the field. Bailey Smith now enters his second suspension. He's done with the headbutt suspension. Now is the cocaine one. And we also got the disappointing news that Fluffball, Mitch Wallace, is having foot surgery to repair a lingering problem, and he is done for the year. One thing that I found really surprising, I usually agree with Cal Toomey, but he projects Josh Shackey being left out of the lineup this week after he had looked pretty good against Hawthorne. I think Shackey's made a case to be in there full time. Especially with English still in protocols. I think having him as that extra goal square presence would be a good move because I think Jordan Sweet isn't nearly as suited to that as English is. I'm going to say something that might be a little strange considering the context here. I think the Lions need this game more than the Bulldogs do. 
Yes, the Bulldogs could conceivably fall back out of the eight, assuming they lose and Richmond wins. But teams aren't expected to go in and pick up points at the GABA. There are other games that are much more attainable for the Bulldogs that they can handle and they'll be just fine so long as they don't get absolutely wiped off the field in this game. So long as they compete, I think they're in pretty good shape, even though their schedule is a bitch moving forward, including a trip to Sydney next week for yet another Friday game. They're playing, they basically get all the Friday games and Thursday games. They played Friday against the Hawks. They've got a Thursday this week. Then they've got two more Friday games. I think this game is more important for the Lions because of how bad they looked last week. The fact that anything less than, at the very least, a preliminary final appearance and maybe even a grand final appearance would be considered a disappointment with the talent this team has. If they were to lose two in a row in this fashion, or just lose two in a row with one of them being a blowout and the other, no matter how it happens, to a prospective finals team, I think there would be a lot of reason for concern, and I think the rumors would start swirling. They need this game to get back on track. Even though they're in a much more stable position overall, and even though a loss here probably doesn't kill their top four chances, this game means a lot for the Lions. Also, they haven't lost at the Gabba yet this year, so at the very least, they need to be able to show they can keep taking care of business there. No better place to be able to bounce back than at the venue with perhaps the best home field advantage. Other than Cardinia Park, I'd say that Chris Fagan looks eager to make changes. He'll be bringing back those important pieces that I mentioned earlier. Hugh McCluggage looks more likely to be brought into a sort of a wing role. Maybe that'll allow him to get more scoring opportunities the last game when he really didn't have much going for him. He had runs, but never had any good looks, and he was primarily going up the middle. I think Lincoln McCarthy was the best of the players going through the middle last round, so hopefully he'll get opportunities there while McCluggage looks to more of an outside role. Brisbane are favored by 13 and a half, which seems just about appropriate. I would think this is a game they should win in that two to three goal realm. The question is, do they do it by slapping the Bulldogs around early and then settling in? Or do they get off to a slow start and then pull away as the game goes on? The clearance battle here is going to be really fun. You got two deep midfields going at it. And with those being the Bulldogs' strength, even with Bailey Smith out, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of strategy Brisbane brings in to try to counter them, what matchups they put on them, what kind of tags they might employ. Fagan did talk about having Jared Berry as a tagger last week. Maybe we'll see a harder tag here. The question is, on whom do you put it? I would say probably Jack McRae. Get someone on him in those contests to limit his impact at the stoppages first and foremost. I think the theme for this week's Friday night game is desperation. And the team that's desperate isn't the one with 16 guys listed on their injury report. Carlton will be facing St. Kilda Friday night at Marvel Stadium. And while the Blues have 16 players on the injury report, it's the Saints who are desperate because they've looked like absolute dog shit the last two weeks. This one gets underway on July 1st at 7.50 p.m. Eastern Time under the roof. On the East Coast of the United States, it'll be at 5.50 in the morning. And on the West Coast, it'll be at 2.50. For TV, don't forget, this one will be available on Fox Sports 2. After convincingly taking care of Fremantle last week, Carlton moved to 10-4. and four. They are now in fourth place. Was really impressed with their defensive depth. It's been tested more than any other unit across the league this year, and it stood up against one of the strongest forward-running teams across the AFL. Lewis Young might have been the linchpin back there, and I look forward to seeing big things from him again. Meanwhile, I look forward to seeing something from St. Kilda, because the Saints have slid to 8-6. They're now in 10th. They've lost three in a row. And while the first one was a tough game at the Gabba where a couple important pieces got injured and they ended up a couple rotations down at the end, the last two weeks have really offered pretty much nothing other than a surge in the third quarter against Essendon in round 14. Last week, they never got off even the plane against the Swans. They got more than doubled up. And even though I emphasize the injuries and being down rotations with the Brisbane game, They knew coming into the SCG that they were without Patty Ryder, that they were without Brad Hill, that people needed to step up in their place, and nobody did. And it continues to boggle my mind 
that Jack Higgins was taken out of the side. His pressure had been down, but he had kicked two goals of the prior game. And the Saints ended up kicking four last Saturday. Josh Gavlich does not think Higgins is going to get back in. I would be shocked if that's the case. I think considering the results last week, you've got to plug him back in. You hope the message was sent by sending him to the VFL. I don't think a message needed to be sent in the first place. But if he's not in there, that alone might be enough for us to do a little list episode because this is just, this is the tipping point for St. Kilda. This is a must win in every sense. As we mentioned in our little news rundown at the top of the episode, Patty Ryder and Brad Hill should be back in the incident the night after the incident loss was overblown by the media. The media kind of likes doing that, say the amateur media personalities. Consider how much people were talking about Shea Bolton dangling the ball on the way to a goal a couple weeks ago. But yeah, this game has a lot riding on it, and the pieces that look like they really complete St. Kilda will be back for this one. If you think back to last year, both teams were on the outside looking in when it came to the time of this game and ultimately at the end of the season as well. In round 20, they also met at Marvel Stadium and Carlton kicked ridiculously accurately. They kicked 18-4 and won by 31. That ended up being the final win that David Teague earned as the Blues boss. In terms of the outs with Ryder and Hill coming back in, Dan Butler hasn't done much since returning. He'll likely be dropped back to the VFL. And as much as Cooper Sharman is entertaining with how often he likes flying for marks, he seems like an easy out here as well. Honestly, the absolute clangor of a kick that he had as well last round could have been enough to drop him. Of the three worst kicks of the round between him, Sean Darcy Frio, and Jamar Hagen for the dogs, I'd say Sharman's was probably the worst of them. And he had competition. Those other two were pretty shitty, too. You were still here at home the night that the dogs played, and I remembered hearing you scream from downstairs, oh my god, when you saw Jamara's. Adam Chera is expected to be back from his hamstring injury this week. It also sounds like Lockie Fogarty, Jack Martin, and Matthew Owies are on the brink as well, but most likely those guys would go to the VFL for the week. With yet another defensive injury, this time Jordan Boyd with a foot injury that should keep him out all the way up until maybe finals, maybe even into finals. It sounds like Liam Stalker will come back from the VFL. I know a number of Carlton fans have been clamoring for Stalker's presence, particularly because of his physicality. Let's see who he ends up trying to maybe brush with this time. With Jack Steele finally being back, maybe that's a good inside mid matchup for Stalker. Other reinforcements are on the way for the Blues as well. Looks like Jacob Wiedering is about a week away. And then within the next two to three weeks, they could be getting Ed Kernow, Sam Durden, and Mark Pittenett all coming back. Carlton are favored by just nine and a half for this one with yet another defensive out. It may leave the Blues exposed to a bit of running on the outside. Maybe that's where Brad Hill is able to take advantage. Would love for him to state his presence early and often just to get this thing competitive. Hopefully, Patty Ryder being back, that means that he and Rowan Marshall can trade off and more consistently have one of them doing their good work going forward. We've been singing Marshall's praises in particular as of late. The thing is, I would be inclined to put money on Carlton to cover this spread. It seems too close to me. I feel like even with St. Kilda being a third quarter team and Carlton often playing their best in the second, what they were able to do last round shows me that they were able to put in that four quarter effort against top competition and The Saints definitely look a step, at least, below that. I would agree here. I think the Blues might end up winning this one going away. I hope the Saints play with some pride and keep things competitive. I think we're going to learn a lot about the rest of St. Kilda's season off of this game. It feels like we were just talking about the Bombers and Swans playing, and that's because it was just seven rounds ago. Back on May 14th, hasn't even been a month and a half since Sydney destroyed Essendon 105-47 to at the SCG, but they're going to go at it again to kick off the Saturday action in Australia, Friday evening into night in the United States, 8.45 p.m. Pacific, 11.45 p.m. Eastern on Friday, July 1st, and that'll be a Fox Soccer Plus game in the United States. It's a typical 1.45 p.m. slot at the G. 
As badly as it was going for Essendon when they first met, there was a glimmer of hope heading into last round against the West Coast Eagles. They were coming off a big win against St. Kilda, making it all right. Maybe they could build some momentum. And then their defense really regressed, and they made just some easy errors that may have cost them the game. So they sit at 3-11 and in 16th. Hopefully they'll put up a good fight. Sydney are 9-5. and They are in 6th place on percentage over Collingwood. We'll note the Swans do have a better percentage than Carlton, who sits right above them. Considering the nature of this rivalry, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bombers put up a much better fight. Although, they will still be without Andrew McGrath. They are also getting Darcy Parrish back. I know you don't like how he affects their structure. I think of him, especially lately, as an uncontested possession vacuum and was really happy with the movement that they were able to get with McGrath back there. Hopefully, Parrish and the team as a whole can learn from that and move more toward contests because they were able to scrap out a decent amount of contest wins both of these past two games. A smaller defense failed miserably last week, so someone like Zach Reed or Brandon Zerk Thatcher could get back in. Other than that, not sure what other changes they make. Maybe end up only going with one ruck. I guess then Peter Wright would be the support for Sam Draper. That's how it's projected. By, and I may butcher this name, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at Balkan names, but by Dejan Kalinic. We're doing our best, and I think they'll be grateful for that alone if they happen to stumble upon this podcast. If so, hello, thanks for listening. Please let us know how you pronounce your name. What people from that region of the world don't like is when you confuse Chevapi and Kebapi. As the Swans look to win their fourth straight against the Bombers, they'll be getting Harry Cunningham and Justin McInerney back from COVID protocols. Robbie Fox seems a likely out, didn't impact play all that much last week. It would be unfortunate for Ryan Clark to be given the axe after getting his first action of the year, providing a good burst early and kicking two goals, but maybe that's where Cunningham fits in. The more interesting question in terms of Sydney's selection is, what does John Logmire and management do in regards to their ruck situation? Tom Hickey did not look up to speed last week. He was likely only in because Peter Laddams was suspended. Now that he's back from that, does Longmire give Hickey another rest in what's perceived to be a less competitive game? Laddams likely factors it in some way, shape, or form. So is Laddams going to be the main guy? Is he going to be the only guy? Might he have support in someone like Joel Marty who could do some ruck forward duty? He kicked five last week in the VFL. Or is Laddams the secondary to Hickey? In which case, it would clearly be a belief that the game action last week did Hickey some good and that he's progressed in training since. James Bell was also good in the VFL last week, racked up 32 touches. I would think you play both Laddams and Hickey. I would think so as well. It's really tough for Amarty and Bell to miss out, but with how well the team went last week, I would find the Swans hard-pressed to make any changes other than the expected ones with getting the couple players back from COVID protocols. If you want to have Laddams and Hickey both in, though, someone else has to come out. Removing two guys from this lineup, let alone three, is tough. So it'll give us a good indication of where Swans management kind of ranks individual talents. I just want to see a better defensive game from Essendon. Again, this is a rivalry. I think they're going to come out and play with pride and give the Swans all they can handle. Sydney favored by 16 and a half for this game, which I think is a fair line because I think it's right around the midpoint of possible outcomes. So I think it is still possible the Swans just absolutely wreck the Bombers, but I see the Bombers with a better chance of pulling off an upset than most of the other underdogs this week. We saw good things out of them just a couple weeks ago. That said, I don't think I don't think Sydney will wither under forward pressure like St. Kilda did. That said, this is still a line that I would probably stay away from. I'd stay away from this one as well, even though I do like it where it is. I'm looking forward to Essendon's ground movement because they're going to have to do a lot of that, even with Peter Wright as their key guy at a damn good mark. Had eight marks last week, just didn't kick accurately enough on the end of it. But they're going to need to have a ground-based approach in order to stay away from the work that the McCartan brothers do in the air. Dane Rampey's been good there as well, so the individual matchups there should be well. And what midfielders are going to step up and be able to press forward? Sam Draper is going to be in an interesting situation as well in this one. Could definitely see him going up against a guy like Rampy at times. 
I know Draper would win in terms of better hair. No offense to Dane. One of the reasons we give the context of past meetings between teams is because it can kind of help paint the picture for an upcoming one. In this case, a game that would probably be a bit of a lackluster matchup, if not for the context of their 2021 clash. And those teams will be returning to the scene of the crime for the middle game on Saturday. Adelaide hosting Melbourne at the Adelaide Oval, where last year in round 10, the Crows handed the Demons their first loss of the year, 96 to 95. I remember Taylor Walker kicking the game winner part of a three goal effort for him as well as a deliberate out-of-bounds that was not paid right at the end of the game when Melbourne were at the goal mouth, because there's always at least one call that gets talked about in a close game. And hey, I guess that connects it to this past round with Gold Coast and Port Adelaide having a similar situation at the end. But yeah, that's definitely the only reason there's as much interest in this matchup as there is, because when you're looking at 13th against 1st, you wouldn't really go in expecting much otherwise. Adelaide took care of North Melbourne last week, nearly doubling them up out of Blundstone Arena. They're 5 at 9. Melbourne reminded everybody that they're Melbourne with a 64-point drubbing of the Brisbane Lions on Thursday night. They sit at 11-3. They are the lone team with 44 points. This one has the middle Saturday slot all to itself. 4.35 p.m. in the Eastern States, which means at the Adelaide Oval, it'll be a 4.05 bounce. In the U.S., 2.35 a.m. Saturday on the East Coast, 11.35 p.m. Friday on the West Coast, and it'll be televised on Fox Soccer Plus. Adelaide have a couple injuries with which they'll need to tangle with, a couple problematic ankles. That's a band name for you right there, problematic ankles. Riley Philthorpe should be back after rolling his two rounds ago against the Suns. Shane McAdam injured his right near the end of the game last round. He is a test for this week. McAdam's been an important forward target for them, kind of been the tertiary target after the key duo of Taylor Walker and Darcy Fogarty. Phil Thorpe could be one of those options to be the third target, or maybe Tariq Newchurch could debut. He kicked 4-3 in the Sandful this past weekend and has been tapped by multiple people, including Nathan Schmuck reporting on the AFL website, to make his debut. Chase Jones was the medical substitute last round, coming on for Will Hamill, who was concussed. I could definitely see Jones coming into the main 22. Along with New Church of the Sandful, you had Matt Crouch with a big game, as well as Lachlan Scholl. With the good things the Crows showed last round, even if it was against North, I don't think many changes are going to be made. So Crouch and company will probably have to wait longer to get another shot at the AFL. I think it's going to be interesting looking after this season when it comes to some of these guys that have been in and out of the lineup, dropped a couple times like Matt Crouch. Maybe they might want to go elsewhere as the Crows might look to bolster their youth group by getting them more top level experience. If you haven't seen Tariq Newchurch's photo on the Crows website, I highly recommend you look at it. He's staring into your soul. I think he's hypnotized Matthew Nix to make sure he gets his debut, and I think he's hypnotizing us to watch him. And I've seen some of his highlights, and I completely understand why he warrants all that attention. That said, since he's so fun to watch, he doesn't need to hypnotize anybody. It's the cherry on top that he's got those abilities, I guess. Well, we'll see if he can hypnotize Melbourne and break their defensive structure, but the D's got back into their zone last week. They probably won't have too many lineup changes to make. Max Gaughan is still a week or two away with his ankle syndesmosis. Maybe Jake Melksham comes back in after a good VFL performance, but who do you take out? I mean, maybe Harrison Petty could get the short end of the stick. I think he was the least noticeable out of those backs for Melbourne last round. I was so, so impressed with what Jake Lever did. Stephen May being back and doing more work on the ground definitely allowed Lever to play to his full potential in the air. Could definitely be a story if Belksham gets in and plays alongside Stephen May. Might test the medal of that relationship after the Entrecote brawl, and I know the media would be all over that, but I don't expect any changes in this one at all. In terms of individual matchups, I'm looking forward to Raleigh O'Brien going up against Luke Jackson. Jackson grew into the game last week had a great second half, and O'Brien's a real physical test of a ruck to go up against. 
The fact that Jackson was able to weather the storm against Oscar McInerney is a great sign for him. Again, he's only 20 years old. Let's note that O'Brien will give Jackson a lot of problems in the center circle, but I think Jackson will have his way the rest of the ground. I just want to see what style do the D's end up employing. They completely changed their game last week against Brisbane. They were attacking more. They were direct. Will they do that or will they go back to sitting in the zone? I won't be shocked if they come out of the gate with that more direct approach. And depending on how they could work the margin, if they get out to a lead, maybe then they'll slow things down, play things like we saw earlier in the season. They have a 13.6% cushion right now. They're just looking for the four points. They're favored by 31 and a half. And while the Crows are dangerous at home, considering the context of last year's meeting, considering how the D's sprung back into form last week, I don't see the Crows having much of a chance. Maybe they keep it close, put up a valiant fight, but I would say this is a pretty appropriate line. I think Simon Goodwin is going to be pretty damn motivated coming into this one. A Hall of Fame back for Adelaide, not able to get over his old side last year, despite how they steamrolled their way to the flag in the end. I think that'll just light even more fire in him, and that'll spread to the rest of the team. As always, you can find our commentary on Twitter at Americans Footy. You can find me individually at Castle Media. That's Castle with a K. You ought to know by now. You should also know that working too hard will give you a heart attack. Ack, 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 ack. I don't have any more Billy Joel references. I'm not in the mood right now. How can you not be in the mood for Billy Joel? I heard Piano Man on the way driving to work today, and I realized just how overplayed it actually is with how good the rest of his catalog is. Well, that song should be played at 9 o'clock every Saturday. Yeah, instead of 5.50-something in the morning on a Tuesday? I don't know. Either way, I am at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter, and Ryan Harambe, the footy cat, who has been very appreciative of his uncle this week, that being me, is on Instagram at catnamedgrian. And speaking of cats, Geelong's game at the Cattery is up next. Their rematch with North Melbourne from round six. Yes, this will be the only time this round we have two games running up right against each other. On Sunday, we've got the three staggered games with some overlap, but we will have two games running at the exact same time. And this one gets the FS2 time slot, even though the other game really should be getting far more attention, honestly. I will be watching this one, leaving Benjamin to enjoy Gold Coast versus Collingwood. but. Geelong at home on a Saturday night under the lights, taking on North Melbourne. Geelong will be looking for a 10th straight head-to-head win. They nearly doubled him up last time, 121-61. to This one gets underway at Geelong at 7.25 p.m. Saturday, July 2nd. On the West Coast of the United States, 2.25 in the morning. And on the East Coast, it'll be at 5.25 a.m. As mentioned, this will be on FS2. The Cats at 10-4, and four, they are up to second place thanks to their superior percentage over the Lions, Dockers, and Blues. North Melbourne at 1-13, all alone dead last. They have now lost 12 consecutive games. And last round, they became the first team in VFL slash AFL history to lose 10 games in a row by 40 or more points. And that was despite an individual record being set in that game. Or honestly, maybe actually it was partially because of it. I don't know. Aaron Hall was tasked with basically every movement out of the back last week, and he turned over the ball a lot, but they kept giving him the chances because David Noble never moved Ben McKay back where he should have been. So Hall set the meters gained record last round at 1,169. Safe to say Ben McKay will be moved back this round because he, Josh Walker, and the like will have their hands full with Geelong's forward group, especially with the key Tom and Jerry duo. Normally, I'm apprehensive going into a game against a bottom of the ladder team. I was against the Eagles a couple weeks ago, but considering just how much of a shit show North have been, I don't think the four points are in question. I do think the 40-point streak is in question. I don't know if the Cats will come out fired up looking to play really well without Tom Stewart or if they'll be a little bit worn out from last week, kind of look at this as a chance to rest some guys and take it a little bit easier. I hope they really try to fatten up on percentage because so far this year, percentage has been really good to them. The biggest reason for that being they have one loss by more than two goals. And 
considering the upcoming schedule, it would be fair to imagine at some point they're going to have a clunker where they get blown off the field. Hopefully not to the degree that someone like Brisbane or St. Kilda did last week. But with this upcoming stretch, even with Tom Stewart, it would have been understandable if one of those games went poorly. So best if they take care of business here and give themselves that margin for error. With the gauntlet that they're going to be running, the next three rounds, at the very least, the rest of the length of Stewart's suspension with Melbourne, Carlton, and a trip to the Adelaide Oval to face Port looming, I could definitely see Joel Selwood and Patrick Dangerfield being rested here. If that's the case, I wouldn't be shocked if the Cats go fast out of the gate because I think the younger guys that might not have as much opportunity otherwise will be more eager to show their worth and give Chris Scott and list management more of a reason to have them in the main group going forward. We know that Sam DeConing will be able to do just fine without Tom Stewart, as he's already done this year. What really interests me is who steps up as that second defender, because Sam DeConing's been maybe the best number two defender on any team in the entire competition this year. He would be the number one guy on most teams. He's now going to be the number one guy for Geelong for the next four weeks. So in that time, who's the number two guy? Will it be Jack Henry, who ended up being a hero playing more forward last week? Will it be Zach Guthrie, who's quietly gone from whipping boy to a really sturdy defenseman? Could it be Tom Atkins, who's a great tackler? Shit, how about Jake Kolajashny? He's due to play better. Jed Buse, Mark O'Connor, a lot of options there. And I think Geelong staff will be willing to switch things around and go with the hot hand during this game, especially if the margin does end up pretty significant, would give them the leeway to do that and help figure out sort of a depth chart heading into that big stretch. We do also know that Gary Rowan should be good to go. Rowan was non-COVID sick last round, a week after being COVID sick, but he should be fine. Brandon Parfit is likely to need another week in his recovery from his hand injury. For North, it's week two of Jason Horn Francis's suspension. Francis's, that's that's hard to say. Lewis Young will be back from a silly suspension that I don't get why North didn't appeal. Also of injury news for the Ruse, Bailey Scott will need to be replaced. He suffered a hip injury last week. Seems like someone out of Callum Coleman-Jones, Jack Mahoney, and Flynn Perez would be the most likely fill there. Perez was the injury sub last week. Taron Thomas was getting ripped on for looking disengaged last week, but it turned out his grandmother had just passed. I assume he'll be back from the funeral and ready to go. And I do hope for his sake he plays better, though I hope as a team North continue to look really bad for one more week before hopefully playing more respectably throughout their final seven games. I love this sport. I will watch a lot of mediocre to bad teams. I've watched a lot of Essendon this year, and they're certainly not what anyone would call good. Starting next week, because I hope they get absolutely flattened this round, but starting next week, I hope North give me a reason to devote two hours and 45 minutes of each week to them. We do also have one unfortunate piece of news. Ben Cunnington's comeback is going to be a bit delayed. He suffered a calf injury in his training. We hope he's back out there soon. Well, if you do want a flattening, the odds makers are liking the idea of that because Geelong are favored by 65 and a half. And I don't even think that's the biggest line we've seen this year. Based on your remarks, I think you would go lower than the 65 and a half. Question is, how much lower? Yeah, I would put it probably in the mid 40s, but you do have the home field advantage here. That said, if I was making the New Jersey gambling parlay of the week, I would probably take North to cover this one. I definitely don't feel quite as confident about that as I do about Carlton covering, but I don't think the Cats absolutely sandblast them. I think they win. Hopefully they do so comfortably and convincingly. Hopefully Myers has a great game because he typically plays very well against North. But I don't know if this is going to be an absolute ass-kicking from start to finish. I would love if it was, but especially considering quick turnaround, short week before facing the Ds, it may be a matter of get the four points, get out without any injuries, get out without any suspensions, and get ready to go right back to it. Two teams that are more than going to be going right to it will be in that other matchup bouncing at the same time as Geelong and North. You got probably the biggest game the Gold Coast Suns have played in their 12-year existence, a chance for them to really throw their hat in the ring and say, we're not just lurking in the spots a little outside of the eight. 
were a legitimate shot to still make it into the eight. They're going to be hosting Collingwood, and I hope Metricon Stadium is packed to the gills, though I'm expecting another disappointing crowd out of it, even with Collingwood having the rabbit fan base that they do. Again, this will be bouncing at 7.25 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. In the U.S., that's 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 2.25 a.m. Pacific. This will not be shown live on U.S. TV. Fox Soccer Plus will have it on delay, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on Saturday, July 2nd. There has not been a crowd bigger than 15,000 at Metricon Stadium yet this year. I think this one gets into like the 16, 17 range. But look, this deserves to be a packed stadium. And I'm going to be disappointed when camera sets up, start the game, and you see a stadium that's maybe three quarters full rather than jam-packed. The Suns lost by two points to Port last round, but they kept their 11th place position on percentage. Pretty good percent for where they are right now, 110.5. That's above St. Kilda, who they definitely have a chance of leapfrogging this round. And let's note that their percentage is up there despite those absolutely awful performances against the Lions and Giants early in the season. That's what happens when you have three straight wins of at least 43 points, which happened in rounds 11, 12, and 14. In fact, 11 and 12 were by 60-plus. Collingwood made their way back into the eight after beating Greater Western Sydney last round, though they missed a chance to improve their percentage. They're at 106 in that regard, so lower than the Gold Coast Suns. Difference is they have two more wins and are thus in seventh. When these teams met in round seven, I was happy that Gold Coast put up a good showing in their one trip to the G this year. Collingwood only got by him by 25 points, and that margin did get extended a bit late. Collingwood weren't the most accurate kicking team in that, and they definitely weren't this past round either. That said, I remember being super underwhelmed by the Suns' defense that game. And since then, I haven't had a single game where I've really criticized their defense. Speaking of defense for Gold Coast, we know that they're going to have to replace Alex Davies. I think it would be great if they just threw his grandpa on the field. He's awesome. More likely, it'll be Connor Butterick returning from a hamstring injury. Also a possibility for Jack Lukosius to get back in if he completes training. Lukosius last played in that impressive round eight win at the SCG. If he does get in, maybe Chris Burgess falls out of the lineup, becomes the injury sub, maybe Sam Flanders. They could also upgrade Braden Fiorini out of the injury sub role. They've got some options here, and they've got depth. It is so nice to be talking about the Suns this way. I really hope they at least play a competitive game in front of a big crowd this week. Win or lose, I hope they show that they belong on the big stage. And this is the game that will be on seven in Australia, so the stage is theirs to claim. With Collingwood having won five games in a row, there isn't much reason, if any, to make changes. Though, with Jordan Dugowie likely coming back into the side if he gets through training, it would likely mean that Isaac Chug would get squeezed right back out of the lineup after having made his debut last round. I did like what Bo McCreary did in that spot, though. A very eager runner, another good energizer, might not be as polished as Dugowie, but very entertaining and another piece that makes sense being slotted where he is. I think this game is an enormous opportunity for both teams, especially for Collingwood. The Pies really have a chance to secure themselves in the eight with a win here, especially with the other teams in similar positions on the ladder facing tough games this week. There's a conceivable possibility that the Bulldogs, Saints, and Power all lose. So whoever wins this game could be in a tremendous position. And this becomes a more and more important game for Gold Coast, considering that that game against Richmond next week looks less and less winnable. Two individual matchups to which I'm really looking forward. I expect Bobby Urchol will draw Darcy Moore. That's going to be a great physical contest between them. Chol has become a real forward highlight reel for Gold Coast. I'm so happy that he's finally getting the opportunity that he's deserved for a while. And going up against an All-Australian, he'll really be able to prove his worth. And then in the ruck, you'll have Darcy Cameron, first and foremost, going up against Jared Witts. Witts' sheer size makes him really strong in getting hit outs or just grabbing the ball right out of the air. But Charlie Dixon did really good work boxing him out and making him really have to work for contests and take some away from him in a similar fashion. So Cameron should probably go back, take a look at what Charlie did and learn from that. 
He's unafraid to get dirty in those contests and putting Wits at odds, physically tangling him up a little bit while still, of course, being able to get away with it will probably be the best way to go at it. Suns are favored by three and a half for this game, which I would probably just flip that around. I would say Collingwood by three and a half would make more sense. But do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm surprised that the Suns are favored. They have been playing pretty well at Metricon Stadium this year. They've won their last four games there by no fewer than 36 points, starting from that waterlogged win against Fremantle. So maybe that's factoring into things. I do like Collingwood in this one by a little bit. The thing is, I could see both teams ending up running away with this one. So I don't really have much more to say on that other than thank you for being a Cats fan because I'll get this contest to myself. Sunday, we've got three games with some mild overlap similar to last week. First two separated by an hour and 10 minutes, then the final one starts two hours after that. So we'll never have more than two games running at the same time, but we will have two games together for a stretch of a little more than two hours. It seems like they're saving the best for last, but the first game could actually end up kind of compelling just from the standpoint of a couple individual performers. Richmond hosting the Eagles at the MCG. I believe this is West Coast's first visit to the G this year. Remember, their win over Collingwood was at Marvel. This one gets underway at 2.10 on the east coast of Australia on Sunday, July 3rd. If you're in Western Australia watching, and we know that these are two teams that are very popular in the West, it'll get underway at 12.10. It'll be 12.10 a.m. on the east coast of the United States. And for those of you on the west coast of the U.S., it'll still be Saturday, 9.10 in the evening. And if you're in the U.S., Watch AFL is not your only option because this one is on Fox Sports 2. They've put the Eagles on US TV a fair amount recently. Not exactly sure why this is. Maybe the American Eagles fan base is larger than we expected. Or maybe it's just because they've gotten some good matchups lately. Richmond sit in ninth, losing their spot in the eight after that three-point defeat to Geelong last round. They're at eight and six. The Eagles got off the bottom of the ladder last week with their second win, a 10-pointer over Essendon. They're now in 17th at 2-12. and 12. These teams played earlier this year, and um, it did not go that well for the Eagles. This was the first game where they were able to have full capacity for the year in round 7, and all that happened was a 109-point blowout in Richmond's favor. The biggest thing I took away from that game was hello again, Morris Rioli Jr., because that was his first appearance of the year, and he only kicked three goals. Obviously, Dion Prestia is out this week with a concussion, but he's been making good progress and will probably be back in time to face the Suns next week. However, Trent Cotchin will be missing two more games with his collarbone injury, and Kane Lambert is still week to week. Most likely candidates to replace Prestia are Jake Arts and Jason Castagna. But look, the Tigers are in such good form right now that whoever gets in there I love how they're playing, and I think even with a healthier Eagles team, it's going to be hard for West Coast to keep up, but by no fault of their own this time. I just think Richmond are pretty unstoppable in their current form. We were both really impressed by what Liam Baker and Jack Ross did to make up for Prestia's absence after his injury last round. Here's hoping that can continue for both of them. We knew about Baker coming in. Hopefully, Ross can establish himself as that next midfield piece or just another one of those really good plug-and-play pieces who can go all sorts of places on the Oval. Speaking of plug-and-play pieces, seems like Noah Balt is probably two to three weeks away from returning. Seems unlikely he'll be able to get back in time for that Suns game. But the Tigers' injury list at the moment is pretty short. It consists of just four players, whereas earlier this year, I believe it was in double digits at times. As for the West Coast Eagles, their injury list is in the single digits, which is hard to believe with how things were at the start of the season. And four of those are just inactives that we knew were going to be in for the rest of the season. Oscar Allen being among those. Unfortunate that he's missed this whole year. With Jeremy McGovern being out, as we mentioned at the very top, you could see defenders who performed well in the waffle like Harry Edwards or Alex Witherden get a chance. I was really surprised that Witherden was dropped these past couple weeks. Maybe he'll get another crack at it. But most importantly for the Eagles, this is Return of the Nat. You knew that he'd be back. Nick Natanui did well in the waffle last week and actually helped the Eagles' twos get their first win of the year. Now he will be back in action in the big time 
For the first time since that round four win against Collingwood, I remembered seeing him slow to get up after a ruck contest late in that one and seeing his knee wrapped up at the end of it. I didn't realize it would be this long, but really looking forward to the first player that I really latched on to as an Eagles fan getting back into the side. The Eagles are probably going to lose this game, and it's very conceivable they lose this game by a lot. But if you wanted to introduce someone to this sport and you wanted to show them highlights of a couple of great individual players, the first three that I could think of would be Liam Ryan, Eddie Betts, and Nick Nathanui. And now the Eagles have two of those three on the field again. They instantly become so much more watchable. And that was after playing in a super fun game last week. Surprised you didn't include Buddy Franklin among that top three, but that's amazingly high praise for those couple Eagles in there. Remember, Liam Ryan came back last round for his first action since round nine and played an important role in pushing forward. He got two goals in that. I'm just looking for continuing progress. I'm looking for the trends that the Eagles established in the fight that they put up against Geelong to continue being more eager to move through the middle instead of taking time swinging things around the back. Elliot Yo and Jermaine Jones and Brady Hoff continuing to move intelligently out of halfback and starting those runs. Hopefully Josh Kennedy can continue looking like his old self. I'm hoping that some more forwards can get involved in the action as well because that younger group is a bit untapped compared to the defenders that have been forced into the side been tough that Isaiah Winder hasn't had an opportunity as of late, but for the guys that do get the chance, I hope they're able to seize it. I think the Eagles lineup decisions this week will be really interesting. I think it'll give us a chance to understand their plan for the rest of the season. And what I would do if I was in their spot is I would try to mix young and old and kind of different combinations each week and give guys a chance to establish chemistry in different spots with different teammates, and then from there, give you an idea of who works well together heading into the offseason, which is obviously going to be one with a lot of personnel decisions to be made. Note that Nick Nanui has been adamant about staying in Perth. I don't know how much longer he's got left in his career with the seasons under his belt and the injuries that he's had, but I know that he had been floated as a potential trade option to bolster rising team's ruck, Looks like that won't be the case. I do see him as a really good mentor, and hopefully he'll be able to parlay that into something meaningful with the team after his career as well. In terms of this game, Richmond are favored by 37 and a half. I get that. I expect them to win by at least a few goals. The question is just how far are you willing to push it with your money? Considering the way they lost last week, I think the Tigers are going to come out angry. They're going to come out inspired. They're going to come out motivated. And the Eagles are just going to happen to be the ones standing in their way. And I won't feel bad about the Eagles if that's the case, as long as they keep doing the things that helped them along the past couple games. 70 minutes after the Tigers and Eagles kick off at the home of Australian football, the Greater Western Sydney Giants will get things going at the showground against Hawthorne. So that'll be 3.20 Eastern time in Australia. In the US, it'll be 1.20 a.m. Eastern on Sunday the 3rd. 10.20 p.m. Pacific on Saturday the 2nd. Your only option for watching this live legally in the United States is watch AFL because this will be delayed on Fox Soccer Plus. It'll be shown at 8 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. Pacific on Sunday the 3rd. Both these teams enter at 4-10. GWS sitting 14th, the Hawks at 15th. They met just once last year. That was in round 15. It was a game originally scheduled to be played at the showground that ended up getting moved to the MCG where GWS played what was technically still their home game. The Hawks ended up winning that one by 18. I have no idea what to expect with this game. These are two teams that start off hot. These are two teams that like getting their running in early and often. It could just be a back-and-forth scoring barrage in the first quarter and then start to settle down a bit after that. I didn't realize just how low Hawthorne's percent was They're at 85.6. Greater Western Sydney are above them because they're at 90.9. But that kind of tells the story for Hawthorne. They're entertaining because of how they come out of the gate. You know Dylan Moore's probably going to do something in the first quarter. And then after that, who the hell knows how long they'll keep up because they pretty much floor it like SpongeBob on the gas pedal until they hit their wall. And that wall probably says wall on it. One of the most underrated parts of SpongeBob, the wall on the course at Mrs. Puff's Boating School, telling you that it's a wall. I also think this is a tough game to project because we should have some lineup changes. 
First off, the Giants get Braden Proust back from his suspension. The Hawks are expected to get at least three significant ins with Will Day back from COVID, Jack Gunston likely back from his ankle injury, and Chad Wingard should be good to go after overcoming his calf problem. However, they are being really patient with Max Lynch, who has dealt with multiple concussions this year. No reason to try to rush him, especially considering where they are on the ladder. But even if they were in a do-or-die position, that's something you don't chance, especially with a young guy who's got his whole career and whole life ahead of him. And especially when he'd be mashing up against a Ruckman who has already been suspended three times this year in Proust. This most recent one was for a dangerous tackle on Tim English, which very likely contributed to the concussion that English suffered with the whiplash that we saw on his head there. The one thing that could make this game really interesting, here's the real turning of the knife here. You got these teams that love to run all over the oval. They got people that could do it from the back. I think Chankwith Jaff has a chance to really have a lot of time with the ball in hand. But how the hell is the rain going to play in this? How sloppy is this going to get? And how much will each team be able to adapt to the conditions? Do you see one team being better than the other in these conditions? Maybe better in terms of slowing down and still getting the job done going upfield? I'm not sure, but I am pretty sure that ground conditions are going to be an issue because it's not just going to be raining on game day. It's been raining throughout the week in New South Wales. I really don't know which team benefits more or maybe just suffers less from this situation. The elements are going to present a very different test for Mark McVeigh's group. You've got the veteran presence in the midfield and going forward with guys like Toby Green, Callan Ward, Josh Kelly, and I think they'd definitely be able to slow it down if they want, even if their greatest successes have come riding that orange tsunami. Hawthorne's definitely got their younger pieces, but they also have Tom Mitchell anchoring their midfield, and I think it's going to be a test of the veteran leadership in both of those units in terms of who's going to get not just more of the ball, but more meaningful possessions with it. I'm going to be the one mostly watching this game because you've got the Eagles. I'm just going to kind of take this game with an open-minded approach. Really no expectations and just hope to be entertained, and hopefully someone I haven't really thought of before makes an impression on me. Giants are favored by an 11.5. Again, don't really have any expectations, so can't really tell you much about the line, but on the surface, that sounds reasonable. This may end up being the toughest game to predict in any way, shape, or form, and I'm just going to kind of let it wash over me as well. I'm going to enjoy it as purely as I can, an impartial fanalist, I guess, if you want to use that portmanteau, fan and analyst together. This should be fun regardless of the result, though. But what should also be plenty of fun is the finale of this round out west that'll bounce two hours after GWS and Hawthorne in that all-too-familiar 3.20 p.m. local start in Perth. The sun will set as this one goes on. Fremantle will host Port Adelaide. It'll be... Because we've got two teams that aren't from the eastern states... We kind of get to go crazy with the time zones here. It's kind of like, you know, what time does the World Cup final start in your country? Or what time does the Super Bowl start? Or my personal favorite, what time does what time does the Super Bowl start start? In which for a while, this website would basically track when sites started posting their what time does the Super Bowl start pages. Anyway, if you're in South Australia, 4.50 p.m. If you're in the Eastern States, 5.20 p.m. If you're on the East Coast of the U.S., 3.20 a.m., and if you're on the West Coast of the U.S., 12.20 a.m. It'll be on Fox Soccer Plus in the U.S. The Dockers enter this one at 10 and 4. They're in fourth place. Port Adelaide sit in 12th at 7 and 7. Amazing to think of how these teams were in somewhat opposite positions this time last year. Fremantle lurking in those positions a little beyond the eight. We knew that they had the potential to make some noise, but didn't think much of it as it pertained to that season. Port more than took care of business at Adelaide Oval, winning by 46 points on another one of those super inaccurate kicking days for Fremantle. They had just one fewer score than Port, who kicked 18-7, but the Dockers kicked 9-15. Port have actually won three straight meetings against Fremantle. As they look to bounce back from being outclassed by Carlton, Fremantle will have to make do without Darcy Tucker, who needs surgery on his finger. Looking forward on the oval, Michael Walters is likely to come back in after being a later out with a calf injury last round. 
that may force Bailey Banfield to move back to the sub. He had that huge four goal outing against the Lions, but has been quieter since, so I would understand that move. The more interesting part of the field in terms of selection ought to be the midfield because Carlton went through Frio's midfield like a hot knife through butter, and I still don't understand why Longmere never put the tag on Sam Walsh when James H. was more than capable of doing just that. And the real question here is, who the hell do you put the tag on for Port? Because you've got the Brownlow medalist there in Ollie Wines. But Connor Rosie has been having a hell of a stretch recently, and so maybe he's the one that you'd want to look to cut off because he's been more of a runner. I would lean towards tagging Rosie. I don't think Longmuir is going to make massive changes personnel-wise other than bringing Walters back in. I don't think one bad performance is enough to necessitate significant changes, but I would love if he used this as an opportunity to get Lloyd Meek back in there because he's way too good to be playing down in the waffle. With Port having a real interesting ruck situation in which they'll likely just be going with Jeremy Finlayson and Charlie Dixon again, unless Charlie raises some concerns about how much he went in there, despite all the good work he did against Jared Witz, I wouldn't be shocked if it's just Sean Darcy for this one. It is unfortunate that Meek has had to bide his time with Peel Thunder. Hopefully he gets an opportunity, if not with the Dockers, then elsewhere. I will note that Meek is from the Central Highlands of Victoria, so who knows if he wants to head closer to home. And looking longer term for Fremantle, we're very excited to see that Nathan O'Driscoll is only two to three weeks away from returning from his foot injury. We really liked how he went along early in the season. You caught on to his potential very early. For Port Adelaide, Riley Bonner is going to be having surgery on a fractured cheekbone and eye socket. And it's funny because I know last week you thought his kicking out of the back wasn't very good, and that's the sort of thing that Fremantle will exploit mercilessly, so maybe it's a blessing in disguise for him to not be in there this week. We'll see if Zach Butters can get back in with his knee situation. I think it's pretty clear Xavier Dersma has established himself as someone who belongs in the lineup at this point, but there are going to be a couple guys who are going to have to come out because... Darcy Byrne-Jones and Tom Clurry are both back from COVID protocols, and there's a chance Scott Lysette could get in there, even though a few days ago the talk was that it was going to be another month for him. I really think Sean Darcy is the wrong Ruckman to bring him back in against. Darcy is one who's really heavy on the body contact, and I think they'd be best served by giving Lysette another week or two. Maybe they ought to test him out in the reserves. In terms of Burn Jones and Clory coming back in, those are a couple really big defensive ends that they're going to need all hands on deck, considering how Fremantle can push forward. I don't exactly know how the 1v1s are going to be decided there. You can definitely see O'Lear O'Lear with Matt Tappener in terms of who might go to Nat 5, who might go to Sonny. That'll be interesting to sort out. Looking forward to hopefully another good on-ball defensive game from Captain Tom Jonas, who's really stepped it up as of late. Jonas and Jones were the biggest reasons Port Adelaide managed to squeak out that win last week. Lockie Jones has added so many more dimensions to his game this past year. He came into the side last year as a halfback, but has shown to be a really good mover along the wings and has been a huge provider of forward pressure. That type of impact was what earned him the Rising Star nomination this past round. In addition to the guys who were back from injury, Nathan Schmuck also thinks Orazio Fantasia is going to get back in, despite not being able to kick straight in the sandfall last week. I hope he's in there just because his name is Orazio Fantasia. Fremantle are favored by 14 and a half. That was actually what I was thinking coming into this one before I saw it. I was thinking maybe the bottom of the range where I'd be willing to look at betting a bit would be two and a half goals. I feel like Fremantle have the potential to blow this game wide open more than Port do, though, even with how well they've had their midfield running through the middle. I just think the combination of the form that they've showed throughout the year and playing at home in the West, just everything should work in their favor in terms of the setting of this game. This line was originally like 19 and a half. I'm surprised it's dropped so significantly without any earth shattering injury news. I think people have just started to realize, wait, quarterback, they've won seven of nine. They've got some of the best form of the league right now. They stood up to another team that was going just about as well last round in the Gold Coast Suns. So this is a lot more than what it shows on paper, just in terms of fourth versus 12th. And it should be a heck of a way to finish off the round. Definitely will be a big result to analyze 
in whichever direction it goes. We look forward to doing that, and we hope you look forward to listening to that when our Round 16 recap comes out. As for our Round 16 preview, that's basically the end of it. We'll definitely be very busy giving our thoughts throughout the round at Americans Footy on Twitter. Maybe I'll chime in a little bit with my thoughts on the Eagles at BenjaminHK01, my personal account. You can find me on Twitter at Castle Media, that's Castle with a K. And you can find my cat, Grian, on Instagram exclusively at CatNameGrian. As of now, Grian is the only cat that we know that's named after a footy player. I know there are more out there, and I'd love to hear the stories behind those namings. Whether this is your first episode listening or your 41st, we thank you for tuning in to Americans Watching the Footy. We look forward to putting this out for you soon, and we look forward to recording again for y'all.